I'm Peter Hope Lane, and this is the Technic Podcast. It's an open discussion on automotive trends, topics, and ideas with leaders in the automotive industry, and it is good as always to have you along, everybody. In today's episode, I talk with Sean Maisie. Sean is a rare breed of racer. Sean spends his time at the racetrack in the tower officiating other racers. Drivers and builders, we all share this common goal of meeting each other, and Sean is responsible for that experience. This interview is interesting to me because Sean is an open book and shares what it's like to officiate a race and how it impacts him personally sometimes. And I'm not saying that you're going to leave the weekend happy with him, but I think this interview will open to your eyes to a side of the sport we rarely think about. Here's my new best friend and the most amazing person in the whole world. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Sean Maisie. Sean Maisie, welcome back, you dirty rat. How Thank are you? you, Peter? Good to be back. I have had some really great conversations around racing over the last. I just want to jump directly into this. Uh, uh, I've had some really great conversations recently with people that have started racing, people that sprint race, people that have a little bit of equity in racing. And it's been great, a great experience for me to help lead a series. Um, it's also a lot harder than I thought. And so one of the things I doesn't, I, I don't, I'm not precious about in this topic around work, even though that's where sort of my heart of hearts is. But one of the things that I was listening to these conversations, right. And I was listening to, um, for me, it was sort of like, I kind of went on hiatus during COVID. There was, I, I didn't have enough bandwidth to do all of this. And so I went back and I listened to some interviews in the past. A lot of them were like wins, fails and predictions, but other interviews. And a lot of it was coming from just the racer's perspective. And so what is interesting to me is that there's Jerry Koonsman and there's Ryan Flaherty and there's, um, Jeremy Crossett and like, you know, there's these people that run NASA. There's, um, Oh, Aaron that runs speed ventures. He's trying to do some things. And then there's Kathy who does lucky dog. There's all these things. And I found myself wanting to talk to you because one, you and I have a lot of racing history in which we are combative with each other. And it is super cool for me because when we're done, when you're done officiating, and I'm done being a racer, we just start drinking each other's beer, which I think is really a lot of the product that I heard, especially after talking to Brian Bittner and I'm talking to these other guys, that that's, you know, the pro teams don't do that. They just go back in their haulers and they go away. And a lot of the pro-am stuff is about the culture, about engaging the people and the fun afterwards, all the shenanigans. And you and I do that very, very well. Mm -hmm. And what... I wanted to unpack a little bit as the context of why I want to talk to you. Cause it's not because I like you. It's about yeah. the fact that, um, we always talk about racers as it pertains to how do I get in front of this guy? What are the teams doing? What's the rules that are preventing me from, you know, the, we have our own tension between the rule book and our race. You are, 
the parent in the room a lot of times. And as it pertains to, you know, I want to give a little hats off to NASA. I can't make the NASA Utah event. And so the back discussion around this is that you're going to go as the race director for the work event there, but you're also going to be my proxy. So if something comes up, there's only one person to see at the track. I will make myself available via phone call and we can resolve it or solve it there either at the track or make notes of it for after the race, which is super cool, right? Like that's great stuff. But you and I also have a lot of conversations behind the scenes around what makes the racing better, right? How, and it's something I've always given you a lot of credit for is that you are the guy that doesn't tell people what they're going to do. You split fields, you do stuff, they get really pissed off and then they come off the track and they're as high as Jesse Pinkman right? They're just super high. And it's this great thing. And I personally believe that that is very much part of the product for the racers, right? Is the, some of the approach that you take, some of the things that you do, or, and I'm not giving you shit here. Some of the things you do and the way you do them are kind of annoying, but I also think that that comes with the role. So in many of our conversations that have come up since I've become the work series leader or director or whatever the fuck the name is you and I have had some very, very interesting unpacks around overthinking things, how to simplify it. What are the, what's the criteria that's good for racers? I think you've always brought really good conversations. And the one that I, the, the low hanging fruit that I want to talk about is what was that? May? What was that? The May event at Buttonwillow? Um, okay april may fuck i don't know dude i don't even know what day it is today to be honest with you just came off vacation uh in which the dust became a huge talking point no one could stop talking about how dusty the dust bowl was and i know that there are other tracks in the country that are faced with dust bowls as problems especially when you go into the southwest and you go up into the sort of Great Lakes area where there's bigger runoffs, maybe not as bad as, but I mean, Buttonwill, maybe like, I, I don't know. I'm just kind of in a vacuum on that, but I well, think, I think some, it's also related to just the, the amount of rainfall that regions get, you know, basically California is so dry that most all tracks are dusty. Anytime a car goes off. Yeah. So it's just inherent. So this event was particularly bizarre And in that we had a couple of medical emergencies, we had a car get wiped out. We've had a lot of courage that maybe wasn't always there due to the the series growth. A lot of people that have never really run that late at night, a really big field. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot of things that went into that, but I wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit about that race or races in general from just your thoughts as an official, as a person who races, you own race, you rent race cars, you you're invested in the community. So walk me through, and you don't have to get into great detail about some of the stuff just out of privacy for other people out of respect for that. But like, I want people to understand we started that race at mm-hmm. five o'clock, like we have done for the last I don't know, 10 years. Let's just call it 10 because it's a nice yeah. round number. 
Um, and this one was different for a myriad of reasons. I'd love to hear your memories of that day from the start of the weekend to, I don't know, trying to turn your brain off, I'm sure, because it's it's a great story. So I'd love to hear about all this racing shit from your vantage point. Well, Longest setup in the world. Yeah. Um, well, that event started out great. Um Leading up to it, uh, schedule-wise, we were on point. Everything was flowing well. Everybody was uh, ready to go. We had our A team there at the track, both safety and uh, people in the tower. Everybody who normally is there was there. So we had everybody there, all the pieces in place to have a great race. Um, and now, also, for context, this was Mike Collins, mm -hmm. the new SoCal owner. Mm -hmm. uh, this was his first... No, event no no a, second it was his first yeah. event at button willow second right. work event right 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 okay yeah yeah he and tess uh, was their first first event at that facility so they're there they were still learning a whole lot and getting a whole lot to, to figure out but uh but the race started off just fine it was going well first uh, i think first hour was busy like always and we had a 32 car field i believe it was a pretty big field 40, and a lot. Four, 42 car field. Was it 42? It was a big field, but it was a lot of new faces, a lot of new cars, a lot of new drivers. So there's a lot of drivers that had great driving experience and background, but they have never driven that track and they've never driven that track at night. And a lot of the, the veterans of the track know that as that place gets dark, the dust clouds become more and more prevalent because people just lose where they are and they go off. It's just it's kind of always been a problem at that track. And I always tell people the best way to avoid dust clouds is keep your car on track. That's, that's the easiest way to, to avoid that, but it's unrealistic because that's the nature of driving at night, right? Cars do go off. So tell me a little bit about, tell me a little bit about the first hour of the race. You say it's always the busiest. Walk well, me you, through well, some of the things that you have to, you, you're constantly, I know it's a moving target. Like every, yeah. we can talk about this every event, but like maybe we yeah. should, but like, what's it like in the beginning of a race for a race director? You're so, I have been up there and yelled at, and it's a busy thing. 25 hours as well. It's like you, you're yeah. having two conversations, someone that's pissed off and you're keeping track of a big ass race. Right. Well, you've got everybody on track at the same time at the start of the race. So cars are much closer together. The possibility for contact is usually higher and greater. Plus every driver on track is amped up and ready to rock and roll. So they are ready to fight. They are ready to push as hard as they can because they think position is everything at the first hour of the race. And it takes the first 30 to 45 minutes for people to calm down and just get into a rhythm. And they realize, oh, okay, I'm not in a sprint race. So I need to calm down and get in rhythm. And that's usually when things mellow out in the first 45 minutes. But um, it's usually really busy with calls, calls on the radio, coursework, we're calling in things that happen. Um, and this was no different. It was a typical buttonhole first 45 minutes of the race. Do you think yeah. that, do you think that like, cause I, I don't know if I do this and it's going to make me ask this question, but like we get into these battles where mm -hmm. at least in E2, where mm -hmm. for the first, I don't know, at least hour we're nose to tail until right. something kind of fucks something up for somebody. Right. But we don't actually care if we touch. Like, so if we take someone's like 
getting held up and we want to try and take that position and there's like maybe a bumper nudge or something. We, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know if I take this position of, Ooh, I better be careful because blah, 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 blah. And I wonder if other racers find themselves in a situation where they go, Oh, that kind of woke me up and I better get in line to try and make it to the next, you know, there's another driver coming in behind me. The crews mm -hmm. work so hard, like that whole mentality kicks in and everyone kind of calms down. I can tell you right now, and, you know, going back to 2019 when we were running full seasons uh, and the fields were, I don't know, consistent. Um, less than 20. The, it was less than 20. Yeah. No, no, no. They were, oh, we were all, no, no, no. For work, we were always, always more than 20 cars. We wouldn't, they wouldn't do them for, well, I mean, on average, it's like right about 20 cars. Just um i've seen as low as six and as high as like 25 20 oh you mean just for e2 oh no i'm talking i'm sorry i'm talking about just fields in general yeah fields in general but my point yeah. being is that um um it's an interesting thing i don't know if i ever get into that mentality of i better preserve my equipment i think i from for an hour and a half i think i'm like this guy's going down i'm going to eat him yeah, that's why Cody Cashel is on my list right now because he beat me <laughs> fair and square, <laughs> little fucker. Um, but uh, but yeah, I um, do you think that that's like a thing? Do you think that like yeah. people like as the calls start to come in, people start to go, oh, okay. Well, the number one factor is that the classes are getting much more competitive. So you don't have cars running away. You don't have cars stringing out or classes that are stringing out in the beginning like they used to do. And then they would kind of, they would come back together later on the race during pit stops or, you know, things of that nature. Uh -huh. um, now the cars are running pretty much nose to tail or at least on the same lap. So they're, they're within sight of each other. So it's, you know, it's, it's an enduro, but it's turning into more of a sprint. The three hours are right for sure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's more of a sprint, and then nose to tail, and they're right on each other. I mean, it's it's awesome from my perspective watching from the tower because it gives me something to do all race long. I'm watching multiple classes have these exact same battles in different classes, not just for the lead, but you know, they look you know further back in the pack. You know, these these cars are roughly the same; they're on the same pace, and either they're pacing just out of strategy or they're running hard. And most of the time it looks like they're running hard, especially when you, you know, you see the attitude of the cars as they're coming off corners. Yeah. That's super interesting. I guess you kind of get to officiate and be a bit of a fan, right? It's kind of a cool. Well, yeah. I'm a fan first. Let's, let's get, let's get that cleared up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, if I can't be in a car, then, you know, it's next best thing, you know, being in a tower and, and overseeing what's going on. You know, it's the, it's, you know, I love racing. It's, it's my first love. My wife will tell you that. Yeah, I know. I, I think people don't totally understand that statement that's mm -hmm. uh, in Lamar where he's like, everything else is just waiting. It's, yeah. it's man, it is so true. It is yeah, so it true. Is. It, you're, right. it, people say you're addicted. It's like you can't be addicted to something you can only have like once a month. It's not like it's just waiting. That's all you're doing is you're yeah. just waiting. Um, so so take us back to specifically that one button willow event, which because yeah. I think from an officiating standpoint was a fucking unbelievable shit show. Um, and I think there's a lot that people don't kind of see. So walk me through the sort of the rest of what happened there. 
Well, we had something that happened to us that has never happened before. And we had a medical emergency in the tower that um, happened right next to me. And so, so somebody, one of my staff had a seizure. And so we had to deal with that. And whenever the ambulance is taking care of somebody like that, they're not available to take care of somebody on the track. So for that reason, we had to black flag the, the event because we had no ambulance who could, if something happened on track, they couldn't respond to that incident, take care of you know whoever might be injured out on track. It's a policy issue, but it's also a safety issue. Um, you know, we don't, we, we can't let our, our medical staff be too thin if they can't take care of everybody at once. So to eliminate that potential, we had to black flag the race and brought everybody in. Um, so that was very different and it changed the dynamics of the staff in the tower. But I will say, um, the staff that we have in the tower stepped up so we lost the person and her husband was a pace car driver. So not only did we lose the person in the tower running the radios, but we lost our pace car driver too, because he went with her obviously to the hospital. So everybody stepped up in the tower. Christine stepped up and she was what she ran the show from then on, and she's been running the show since then. Uh so she's a, she has since uh, retired from she's from she's NASA. new in the tower though, correct? No, well Christine's been in the tower for a while. She's been um she's been handling She's been logging all the calls that come in, you know, mm. not just for the races, but she's been, I mean, she's been a big part of it, but she's smart and she pays attention and she learned just by observing um, what she was doing in, in that role. And so when, when we lost her, Christine stepped up and stepped right into the role and knew exactly what to do. She knew the lingo. She knew how to use the radio. She knew it all. Yeah, and I was more than impressed because I thought for sure I was going to have to do that because I didn't know that she, you know, you know how it is. You know, people come in and they do a job; they just do my job, and that's it. But she doesn't. She's very observant. She saw everything, and and she stepped in like no one's business. And to me, she was the hero that night. You know, she's the one that kept the race going and and uh, kept the course workers fully communicated. And um, great job. Awesome. Um- I want to go back a little bit about, you know, person has a medical emergency. Um, how, you know, I know that you have military experience and I know that that's a good thing and a bad thing these days. Mm-hmm. I, and I want to make yeah. sure that we're talking about that candidly. I don't know if you want to, but I do. Um, that's the great thing about coming on my podcast here. It's like, I don't tell you what we're going to talk about. That's um, what I want to understand is like, how do you, he takes a drink. How do you, um, this, you have this medical emergency. Mm-hmm. How does your brain, or how's your thinking around bifurcating, right? Because now you're actually attending to two things in, in a dynamic sense because they're both happening at the same time. So you can't say, oh, I'm doing this and I'm doing that because the, both flywheels are spinning. Yeah, it's not, I, it's not a, yeah. it's not a fixed thing that's happening. It's in a, two events that are pulling at each other and you're sitting there directly in the middle and you're in charge of both at that moment. If, if I've got that, if I got the story, correct. Well, yeah, but uh, I mean, because it happened right next to me, I dealt with it. I mean, I just switched off. I went, I switched off from I'm in race mode 
and I switched on into I have something I have to deal with. It took me a minute or two, not a full minute, but it took me a second or two to realize what was happening because you know the way she was acting, it appeared to be the start of a joke, but then it just kept going and then it just got worse. So once uh, and Christine kind of did too. She you know we both kind of stood up and cat caught her and and uh, you know took care of her from there, but. I wasn't even thinking about racing. I forgot that the race was even happening until medical and uh, Greenbaum came up and, and was taking care of her. Once that happened, then I switched back. Okay, so my task here is done. She's being taken care of. I'm now back in race mode. But Christine was already on the radio doing calls, and we had already gotten cars she off. She ran and, behind. She ran behind you in your uh, role. So she sort of was like, "Hey, I'm gonna." Because yeah. think think of it like this, right? An event yeah. happens, and you can't you. You're Captain Kirk, right? And there's only mm -hmm. one chair to sit in. And an event mm -hmm. happens, and all of a sudden, there's two chairs. And you have to pick a chair. So mm -hmm. that means that because both events are happening, one chair is no one's at the helm. So what you're saying right. is that Christine took that she second did. abandoned she chair and said, initiative. hey, we're going to gather this up and slow it down and bring it, to, bring it to yeah. a halt. She did, yeah. yeah. Well, I told her, you know, this is what we need to do. We went full force yellow, and then we went black flag and brought everybody in. And then it was just a matter of um we were so the delay for us was getting another ambulance to come to the track to transport so that our ambulance could stay here and uh you know meanwhile the uh, greg greenbaum who's a doctor he was taking care of her he was evaluating and, you know so while that was going on we had dispatch uh, we had called 911 and had them send us an ambulance so they could take her transport her to the hospital and we could keep our ambulance so we could go back through. So that was the that was the plan that we put in place and we implemented. And how long did that take to figure out? You know, I don't know what the delay was time wise. <laughs> You're like, was, I don't know. <laughs> could well, have been, I mean, it, it, could have it been five happened. hours and it was 30 seconds. <laughs> no, no. Well, I mean, because, you know, we're out in the middle of nowhere. So how long is it going to take to get an ambulance? And they dispatched them from Bakersfield. So it took the ambulance probably 20 minutes to get there. They got there actually pretty quick. We were impressed with how quickly they got there to us. Yeah, and then as soon as um, Ryan Flaherty actually went up in the tower, I was down on the ground because I was trying to get cars lined up somewhat away from the timing loop so we can get ready to go back to green. Yeah, you know that's interesting. And, I remember we got we got parked way down the grid. Right, I mean, right. almost almost out onto the right. to the track, and they stopped yeah. us way that, out that, there. That was on purpose because we can't stop cars on the timing loop because it was just doing click off laps. So some of you will, I mean. It's great if you're that car, right? Cause no, because it like, would be me. It would be yeah. me. That's why. Yeah, it'd be great I, if it was you, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 so no. What I'm saying is it would never be me. I would never get the benefit of that. Yeah, so we were trying to keep cars on the timing loop, and we had so many cars that we couldn't, I mean, normally, our normal events, um, or, you know, not normal, but our regular events from previous years, that wouldn't have been a problem. We had so many cars, we had to create two lines. And uh, so Ryan was up in the tower, and he let me know when we are going back to green, and once that happened, I, I went back up in the tower and we resumed and, um, and uh, kept kept the race going. And a lot of people were just pleased that, you know, they didn't understand why we were stopped. You know, they thought, I don't know what they thought. They, just, they weren't happy that they weren't racing, which I don't blame them because that's what you're here to do. I think there's an interesting thing that people are becoming more cognizant of is that when you're in the car, your adrenaline is just yeah. so high and your heart rate is so high. That you probably get out of the car and you're probably thinking to yourself, Hey, what happened? And it comes out with like, what are you doing? What's happening? Why are you, you know? And it's like, yeah. you don't know. 
I know, I know that I'm right, and I know that about me. Why are we stopped? Right. But <laughs> I don't have I also, time to tell you right now. <laughs> right. But I also tell people like, if you find me climbing out of a race car, like you better know who you have in your hands because I don't. I've learned that. You know, that's who I sort of. That's who people become. If you listen to Formula One or NASCAR, all these people, if you listen to those radios. They're all. They're all insane people. And I think that's, I think that's probably one of the reasons why I want to have this conversation is because that's what you kind of have to deal with, right? Is you have to deal with people that are slightly coming, they're coming across slightly entitled because they're trying to get something and you're preventing them from doing that and they want it. And it's an, it's an interesting thing. I do want to go, I want to ask you this human question. What was that like for you? emotionally having that person have having that person have a medical emergency and the race i mean you're sitting here saying like okay this person was the hero and like kept the race going and there's like a lot of really like detailed facts that if you think about it it could be so much worse right yeah. like so much yeah. worse and you go oh man given it's probably a pretty good outcome um but what I want to know is, for, like, how did it make Sean feel? What came, what happened for you emotionally? Did it scare you? Were you like, oh shoot, no, it, or it, like it hurt me? It hurt me to see a friend of mine in the in the condition she was in. Um, I mean, and you know, I mean, so my military experience, I, I I experienced something that was similar to a degree as far as how I started because when she first reacted, it wasn't in a way that I was expecting it to be i didn't realize it was a problem i was thinking it was a joke and there was i had a prior experience where i treated something that had happened that was serious like he was joking and he wasn't joking he was very hurt and um so in the, it, that in kind the of military that yeah so yeah. it brought that back and i kind of not a flashback i don't, I don't, I don't know how you call it but it's it, called ptsd it just no I don't you're have allowed PTSD, that but you're you know, allowed that so it was just something that it brought back something to memory that uh, made me have all those feelings came back and I felt like an ass because I treated it incorrectly initially. And, um, you know, I should have treated it differently, but I, you know, how am I to know how to recognize you know, someone's having a seizure? I've never been around somebody that, that's had one like that. That was very different than, than what I've experienced. I've experienced people having seizures, but it was super, super minor. That was a grand mal seizure. That was, that was, um, very violent, very not good. <laughs> I don't recommend it for anyone, so don't have them, people. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I think that's. I think this is kind of part of what I wanted to talk about, right? So I want to put a pin in this and keep the story going, but I want to put a pin in this moment. And for the listener, you have to think about we're always kind of like leaning in on people. And that's okay. I'm not saying stop. I'm saying that's fine. But when we go home, some of the things that we have to account for is that that event that we had no idea around, uh, it hurt you. And that's yeah. the thing. I think that's an interesting thing. And it hurt you because you probably have the experience and the training with your military background to be able to be the guy to kind of like, oh, thank God Sean Maisie was officiating that day because like someone else probably maybe didn't have that kind of experience or leadership. But what happens is, and what we forget 
about is like, so to give you some context, um, another racer hurts another racer's feelings. Like, okay, well, we'll see you next weekend and we'll see whose feelings get hurt. Like it's a, it's right. a part of frustration. It's a part of the challenge and the adversity of being the consumer, which is, which is kind of what we are. And we have to be listened to because we are the person and we are trying to fight for it. But I think the blind spot is that that moment is a double-edged sword because you're pro- you did a great job with using the skill sets you had, but it also brought up a feeling that we've never really even thought about it being addressed. So like as a racer, we sit there and go, this is bu- just, bu-. you know, it's like, there's so many things going on. So I want to put a pin in that for a moment. And then, you know, that, but that's just really important to remember. Cause I think that's going to come up in our conclusion. If I think I'm telling the story the right way. And again, this is sort of my first time walking through it, but um, so race continues. Mm-hmm. You have all these feelings. You've had this medical emergency. What, what do you do then? Like what, happens well, to, just, what happens to Maisie now well I still have a W so I kind of realized oh we still got a race going on I need to get back into what I'm doing so I just put all that aside for now and got back into what was going on caught up on where we were status wise with the track and with safety and with uh, the ambulance and just make sure everything was doing what it's supposed to do and we got back to racing Okay, well, thanks for coming out on the podcast. That was yeah. awesome. <laughs> I mean, so, that was that was. I mean, that's just kind of right. But right I, around I that time, that's choice. all. That's all sunset, right? That's all happening at sunset. Right. Yeah. And now the sun starts to go yeah. down, right? We right. have pit stop rotations, right? That hasn't then, happened yet. And we yeah. have because that actually changed a lot of the fuel strategy against the clock too, because we were held yeah. for about five minutes. But what what's interesting about this? This is so that. I'm still taking it back a little bit about how that made you feel. Um, one of the things that I will say is that what I th- where I was leading with this was now you go through that and now the sun goes down, we go through pit stop rotations and the dust and nightfall and all this, like, and, and now it's like a completely different race. And that's the part that I was really kind of leaning in on before that human element just happened right there. But like, and I appreciate your, your, your candidness, but like what's crazy is you have this moment of parentheses and then you come back from that and it's a different race than when you put the parentheses in place. So you have the medical emergency, it changes all of the pit stop rotations. It starts at dust dusk when the pit stops start to happen and then the race immediately flips to night where no one could really see what was going on. So talk, talk, walk me through that because that's actually where I was trying to get to before we had that moment, which I thought was awesome. Well, I think that delay, it moved the driver changes uh, to where they usually would get in the car before the sun went down. So they had a chance to evolve with the lighting conditions and adapt to it. I should say not evolve, but they would adapt to the lighting conditions as it got darker. But I think majority of them didn't get in the car until after it was dark. So mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. dynamic for a lot of the teams, I think, threw a monkey wrench in it. Because like I said, they put guys out in the car who never even been on the track at night. And so uh, I think it was... Uh, 
it was a where does it go moment for a lot of drivers just right on their outlap in the first few laps. Yeah. That's a it's a um you know it's an interesting thing. Um this takes me to the conversation that you and I had a lot of this when we were when we came back from the weekend. Mm-hmm. And some of the unpack that we had around that really was a lot of new teams and a lot of older teams with new cars. Mm-hmm. And so there, a lot of the cars were not lit. So if you think about with growth of a series, which I'm, I'm thankful for, and I I'm, I'm, think it's better that we have more cars. But what's really interesting about it is um, we couldn't see anything. Right. We, uh, we, we, I mean, visibility and, is zero. Yeah. And, and, um, it's hard for me to say, like, we were, when that accident happened, Rob and Paul's, um, and the, and the Mercedes guys, mm-hmm. um, I should say HQ Autosport and the, I can't think of the name of that, the Mercedes team. Um, that event that kind of triggered all that dust and all that stuff like that, you know, how do you, I know from a fact I had a moment of, Oh my God, this brand new car that I just built is about to get written off. I, I, I was talking to Paul, Paul from Quatochi from HQ. Okay. And the cars kind of got piled up. And they, there was like a big traffic jam going into what we call the bus stop, which is this basic like turn. And um, our, I watched our car go in early and I watched it go into the thick of the dust. And it was just luck. It was just Matt Keo just did kind of like a, a risk analysis and just said, this way is going to probably be the best. And it happened to be. Mm-hmm. But there were a lot of cars that you just didn't know if they were in there or not. Right. And that's the part where I go, teams, we got to figure out how to get, I mean, I've already said it to a lot of people. We need to get these cars lit, but I want to hear about it from, how do you officiate that? I mean, our spotter, Nolan Sykes, Go Donut Media, um, basically was like, I don't know, he's just Instagram. He's like, I have no idea. I told him, I, I told our driver, I can't see you. I don't know where you are. Yeah. Um, when I was talking to Paul in that moment, the thing that we were talking about was we couldn't see the cars. So we didn't have any idea on how to call strategy for the drivers. Right. Um, there's an interesting view vantage point for you because you're like, I'm officiating this thing. I got to keep track of all these people. So walk me through what that's like for you in the tower as well. Well, it's frustrating, especially when you see it unfold right in front of your face. You know, you see cars that had been there before woe up and slow down. They're roughly about the same. And it's funny because those same few cars that slowed down didn't slow down enough. They end up still having light contact and they end up going off at the, at the end of the bus stop. Uh-huh. And the, the Mercedes just comes charging into it. And we were screaming in the tire long before even the, the contact happened that, you know, whoa, 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 why, you know, why are you going so fast? Well, this driver hadn't been there at night and didn't understand about the dust clouds like, like they can be, you know, and, and his in-car video showed that you couldn't see the brake lights of the car in front until just before he hit him. 
But even still, the speed he was going, he, was, he wasn't even going to make that turn, even if no cars were there, in my opinion, you know, based on his in-car video and the, the data that his video showed. And, um, you know, he I was think, lost. I think he, he would have. I think I agree he was lost, but I think he would have made that turn. I saw the video. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, regardless, you know, what happened still happened. But, you know, for me, I mean, it's not about assigning fault. I mean, that's part of my job. But in this instance, I want to, it's more about let's learn from this and let's make sure this doesn't happen again. Because we were lucky. Nobody got hurt. Nobody got seriously hurt. He was transported, but he was okay. The car got absolutely destroyed. Both cars. You know, it, yeah, I was going to say both teams got financially hurt. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the penalty for that should have been a one race suspension, but the car is so damaged that they, they didn't, they weren't going to make the next race. So why even, you know, why even make them feel worse about what happened by telling them they have a one race suspension? You know, they, they didn't make the next race anyways, and they're probably not going to be at Utah either. So, you know, my understanding is the car still hasn't been fixed. There was a lot of damage to both cars. It was a, a huge hit. But, it circles back to what can we do to make it safer? What can we do to make it better for everybody? Because it's not fun going to a track and you're out there racing and then something like this happens. It's not fun for anybody. What do you have to do? Like, tell me about some of the things that are like, what are you, what are you processing when you see that big of a wallop? And for the people on the East coast or people that are listening to it, that weren't, weren't there, um, GT four Mercedes SLS comes flying around a corner and hits effectively a specy 46 it's a specy mm -hmm. 46 probably with some it was so new and probably not ready for national competition but it's a specy mm -hmm. regional specy 46 yeah. and hits that specy 46 and bends and i have pictures of this it bent the bumper support that that, that the bumper mounts mm -hmm. to, like the physical mm -hmm. skin not the, mm -hmm. the not the body of the car past the strut towers into the back right. seat it yes. wiped that car out. And um, now you have a guy, seat mounts broke, right? Mm -hmm. And um, he's, he's experienced pain and he's in a car um, and you have a race going on. So now you have another medical emergency. Now you have a crash. Now you have all this other stuff going on. I mean, I think right. that, that that's why I say put a pin in the whole medical emergency because it's like, Right. The rate that now a second race starts out, you have to adapt to a new race and it repeats itself yeah. in a new form for you. So walk me through what, what do you on? And I'm asking this cause I actually don't, I don't think I've ever asked you like, what the hell do you do? I couldn't do that. Like, what do you do in that situation? I'm genuinely curious to know, like, you just well, flip we just, the lights on and say race is over, fuck off, like everyone go home. Well, that's that's kind of what happened. Um, you know, we sent safety out and they evaluated and because the Mercedes put down so much oil, and they said there's no way we can clean this. It's gonna take hours to clean up. And I said, How much time is left in the race? They said, I think what do you mean the, the, that the Mercedes put down oil? Well, the Mercedes, after he had contact, the whole front of his car was smashed. So his oil cooler, his trans cooler, all the everything that he had up front was leaking fluids. And I, I'm sure you weren't out there walking around. I went out there to inspect the, the, the scene, and it was like an ice skating rink on the track. I mean, there was so much fluid. So after the contact, he drove away. He thought, oh, I'm okay. And for whatever reason, he decided to try to drive it back to the pits. We made it down as far as Star Mazda as far as he made it, and it finally shut off because he had no oil. No for cool context, oil. Star Mazda is like, what, maybe three it's, quarters of a mile? 
Yeah, it's not it's not too far away, but it's far enough. It's the furthest you can get from visual from the from, tower. Tower can't well, see it. Right, it, from everywhere. You're out I into mean, like a field. You're out by yeah, the crops. But, yeah. By this time, so we had called the race because the it was going to take so long to clean it up that there's no reason to have them circulate out there. So we called the race early. It was, it was shortened by, I think, 15 minutes, I think is what it was uh, from the official finish time. And uh, so they had drove away. When he drove away, he just put down fluids everywhere. So it just made so, it so So there was like awful. a huge puddle where the contact happened, mm -hmm. and then he drove yeah. away and dragged yeah. that everywhere. So you'd have to put oil dry All down, the way for, down like, to start for three quarters so, yeah. of a mile out into yeah. the woods, which yeah. to give some people an idea, um, if you went off making the sort of the bend to get to that section of the track that he's talking about, that kicks up dust and it's very hard to enter that turn if it's dusty to begin with. So there's mm -hmm. also, if I'm, and by the way, I'm sort of speaking for you cause I'm processing this myself, but like now you have oil dry, potential oil slicks, dusty track going into a turn. That's going to basically send a car out into a dark field with it's like, how do you find them? Yeah. And on top what of that, there's a huge oil puddle right at the mm -hmm. exit where we get on throttle right. for, out of that bus stop, that's where cars go back on to gas and they would basically just eat shit. But more importantly, we had a driver who was being tended to by the animals. Yeah, because the seat, because he, the seat right. frame he broke. Was, he was hurting. So they transported him um, to the hospital from the track. Um, but there was just no way we, we could have gone back to him. It was impossible. And I know I hate it for the racers because I know they want to. They want to race to a checker flag. Yeah. And the fan in you wants should. to see it too, right? I want to see it. Yeah. That's why I mean, I've done races where I will, I'll extend the time limit just so they can get, I'll go green and white right away. So they can at least race one lap to, to, uh, to, to the checker mm -hmm. flag. Cause that's what you're there to do. You're not there to, okay. Yellow flag, checkered yellow. That's no fun for anyone. If I can make and if I can give an opportunity for people to race, to the checker, then that's that's what I always try to do. I mean, I I, I manipulate a lot of things as, as far as taking time from different groups. For and this is not just for enduro, but for sprint races to make sure that people can race. Yeah, but, it's it's kind of an impossible position. You 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 kind of have to appreciate. Uh, let me say this: I can't speak for everybody, but I can kind of say. As much as you and I talk about things, I don't think I've ever had a clear look into how hard it is to get, like if your dissatisfaction is one and happiness is 10, it's very, it's almost a, it's a moving goalpost making it like kind of like art in a way to try and get everybody to a six. Right? It's like, I, I'm always aiming for an eight. I know I'll never get to a 10. There's been a few events where I've gotten pretty close to a 10, but for the most part, I'm aiming for an eight. If I can get to an eight where everybody's happy at the end, then, then I've done my job. Yeah. I think to what, and I don't, you know, I race a lot of different series and I'm not going to call anyone's name out or anything because I know that there's as you move across the country it's all different but what I will say is that I have always applauded NASA 
for their consciousness around what is safety. And I understand that with the membership comes this insurance policy and stuff like that. I'm like, that's mm-hmm. great. It's more that's than not why we're here. We're not here to get hurt. We're here to have fun and race. Right. But if it happens, then that's number one priority. I, if someone I, gets hurt, my number one priority is them. Yeah. And I, I see it the racing at that point. I see it everywhere I've go. I, I've raced NASA in a lot of different places and they've always mm-hmm. been like safety is a really big part of the protocol as it pertains to motorsports. I mean, there's a million things I could pick on NASA for, but, um, and I do, but, um, it isn't because I'm frustrated with them. It's because I want them to get better. One of the areas that I've always been, you know, we go to a lot of different events and a lot of places try to be as safe as they can. I've always felt that, you know, at least on the West coast. I mean, I know that when we go to the 25 hour, there's a, an enormous amount of safety protocols that go into place to try and keep people. Cause that, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you race direct the 25 hour, right. And that's a, that thing is yes. an yep. animal. I don't think people totally understand beast of an event. How, what it takes to put that on. Involved. Oh my God. It's just, I don't know how they do it year after year. If you go back into the library of the podcast, you'll find in a, a whole thing I tried to learn how to do on breaking down what made the 25 to 25. And there is a section in there where we talk about how the internet companies were like, what is this flaring hotspot out in the middle of absolutely nowhere? And they just said, Oh, Verizon was like, here, here's a tower. Like it's an amazing amount of energy that it takes to put that on. Mm -hmm. What is, what's the, what is the scariest thing that you can remember now that I'm all like freaked out myself? Like, What's the scariest thing that you can remember happening at the 25 hour under your watch? Nothing. 25 hour for me has been pleasantly boring as far as those kind of things. I mean, I've had, um, there was a, I don't know the team, there was a, a stock car team and they were out there competing. They were just out there running laps and they spent more time behind the wall fixing the car than they did out there driving. But they got to the point where calls were constantly coming in contact and i think they had like five contact with five different cars i had to just park them i'm sorry man you guys gotta go and they've been with you've never had anyone like right off a car you never had a person right off a car under your watch not during the 25 i there was a few cars that got ripped i think a couple years ago there was an e46 that got wrote off in the best day i think or maybe it was qualifying there's been a few cars it seems like every year a car rolls during qualifying for whatever reason no, that's just our but, memory. But not, but not during, uh, not during my watch. I've never had any major crashes. I mean, if you think about this, right? You have full, pro- like cars going to Le Mans, mm-hmm. and at the same time, you have everything in between there, and some. There's like a guy who brought out like the, like a really old '50s Mini Cooper that had two motorcycle engines in it. And I remember being like, oh my God, is that even allowed? Can you do that? Like if that engine and if the front and the back don't get in sync, like he's gonna, <laughs> I don't know what he's going to do. Roll like roll over the face of himself. Like, how does that work? Does he and shut off one to save fuel? I don't, yeah, I don't, I was like, <laughs> I don't, that's, that's a lot it. of, yeah, that's a lot of work. But yeah. I've thought about it from like a risk perspective and, and just like, oh my gosh. But everything in between there and like a first gen RX seven or an E 30, you know, the moving chicanes, yeah. but Miatas, 
Um, yeah. And, uh, and you have to officiate all those people. You basically have to officiate the racing market share at the 25 hour. Yeah. Yeah. But for the most part, you know, I think people's mindsets are a lot different. At 25. I think um, people are a little bit more careful. And it's funny because the, the problems that I've seen at the 25 are not, are, are not that the slow cars are in the way, the slow cars are doing slow cars are that. It's usually the faster cars, assuming the slower cars are going to be behind them further when they move over. So they'll have contact with them. So they'll, they'll basically clip the nose of the car because they thought they were further ahead. And they totally blame the car that they just hit for. I mean, I, that happens more, I think, than any other thing I've seen happen at 25 in, in the, however many years I've been doing it. It's, um, I think there's probably some interesting things, right? I think to uh, like what you said about work is that the classes have become so competitive, right? Like yeah. if you're not running in the front of the pack in E2, E3, E1 and ES, mm-hmm. um, you are, you're just not competitive. Like something's yeah. happened. Um, and when I say front of the pack, what I mean by is on that lap, on that pace like you could have been choked up by 10 cars something happened but you're right there with them such that if a pit stop or a yellow flag or something goes like you could you could gain that back but i always try and tell people like if that goes wrong we're not fixing that we're just going to go we're not going to come back from that in a in a six hour race or a five four hour race right um i it's interesting the the expansion and contraction of that race is because i encourage more teams to come out because it has become so it's a competitive endurance space. Right. right? And you can keep your distance and still be super competitive. Um, so I think that's a really interesting perspective as it pertains to 25 hour. You're right. Maybe people kind of, maybe it's not like the first hour of a work race where the WERC race, uh, where you, you know, at the 25 hour, people are like, okay, how quickly can we settle in? and start racing for one full day. Maybe. I don't know. I don't, yeah. I don't, I'm a little, it just blind. seems like a different mindset. There's, there's so? more cars know. on track, but well, the first hour is always, is always crazy. 25 regular work race. Doesn't matter. First hour is always pretty nutty and always busy. Not crazy, but is I mean, it 25 hours busy? Yeah. It's, it's busy the first hour. Cause there's just so much going on and cars are so close to each other. They don't have time to string out yet. You know, once time goes on and cars string out more then people start selling into a rhythm. Yeah. Um, people, less people have are, are, are broke too. Right. There's more cars. Right. right. There's more car. Yeah. More, there's, right. There's, the yeah. total car count is just much higher at the very beginning. And then as, as it wears on, you start, you know, through attrition, you start losing cars. So, you know, that takes away some of it. But um, but then I think just the mindset of, okay, I need to give this car to the next driver and I want him to have a good call. I don't want to use it all up here. And I think I think that's part of the mindset that, that some teams will approach. Not always, because you can tell. <laughs> huh. how, can, how come you're changing your brakes in, after the first six hours? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I've seen that happen too. So Yeah. And if you are, you just have to be good at it. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and, you know, you own race cars, you rent them out, you do all this stuff, but you don't drive. Is it? 
I do. I just don't, it, you can't, well, for me, I can't be a race director and then go jump in a car and go race because I've tried that. And while I'm in the car, I'm thinking more about, all right, schedule wise, I need to do this. I need to get this ready. Grits for this. Yeah. I'm not even in the race. I mean, I'm there out there driving, but I'm just following cars and I'm not really, I can't just be competitive me that I want to be. So for me to go race, that's why I'll go and do North Cali events or I'll do Arizona events and I'll go out there with the car and just go bonsai myself and, and have a great time. Yeah. That's interesting. I, I really learned that lesson in 2019. You just got to get in the car and do your job. And then you, when you get out, then you can start, you know, trying. Yeah. To I have, I, I have a hard time when I'm driving, not thinking about what I need to do, you know, with my other work. So it sounds like you're more passionate about the officiating. Well, I am because it's got to be done. If it's not, I mean, I'm, don't be a martyr about it. I'm not picky. No, I'm not martyring at all. It's just, it's, I mean, I want, I always want to do a good job. And the last couple of events I will say have not been my best performances. I have made some major mistakes and, and um, I mean, I, but I learned from it. You know, I always evaluate myself after every event and what could I've done differently? What could I've done better? And a lot of times it's like, well, I could have did, you know, minor tweaks here and there, but this last couple of events have been, uh, I made some big mistakes and, and, uh, and I, and at the driver's meeting on Sunday at Cal Speedway, I apologize to the drivers because it was my fault. 100% my fault. I've been trying to tell you that for, I don't know, I don't know, six years. Well, I'm humble enough where if I make a mistake, <laughs> I can own it. You know, I can, I can own it and I can learn from it because it was the situation that I put myself in that I shouldn't have been and I should have just stayed my butt up in the tower and, and ran things from there instead of trying to get my feet on the ground and, and uh, take care of things. So I screwed up a little bit. It wasn't major, but uh, we went out with no pace car. I forgot to send the pace car. Because usually I'm in the tower, pace car, you know, I have a routine I go through and I didn't follow my routine. I, I missed a very important step. And the pace car driver that we had was a new one that we were training and um, she got yelled at by other people and she quit. <laughs> I quit. So And I quit. I quit. And you ain't talking to me that way. Um, yeah, I such a fine line i, I i'm such yeah. a i'm such a i called you a martyr i am the biggest martyr in that i oh, will I, know. I will defend anyone in their job but i'm also going to hand them their ass right or wrong like it's so i just it's such an interesting place to be yeah and what i just heard is the art of being a race official is almost as competitive as being a driver. And we pay so much attention to the drivers and we always say, Oh, it's a team sport, right? Oh, you got to have all this prep and all this stuff going on. It's like, it's a team Mm -hmm. sport because there's like people like yourself who are competing with themselves to make events go better. And that's, that's true of anywhere that you go. Um, And we just don't ever, I don't think we ever talk about that. And well, nobody thinks about it. You know, there there are no famous race directors out there except for that dude, that one dude, whatever his name was, Bernie something or other. He's, well, he's the only famous one you know of because he was always screwing up. Famous as a race director, and he's a billionaire. We just downloaded yeah, uh, yeah. F1 2021. That's the there you go. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, it's a it's a super interesting thing, and um, that's our time. But like, I uh, I appreciate you sort of talking about what it's like 
from the other side of the glass, right? The place that we're always getting called into. And I think from the people, a lot of the people that listen to this podcast, which by the way, the numbers are going way back up and I really appreciate everybody, um, is that the, it's, it's a, it's this, it's a, the juxtaposition, right? These are people that are trying to better events and trying to keep us competitive, but there are things that are beyond their control and they're doing their level best too. So it's, um, I don't know. It's interesting. I honestly, I got way more out of this than I was planning on from oh, our good. conversation. So um, there's a lot more to it. Yep. But we don't have time for today. So that's our, that's our absolutely show. Absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. All right, man. I will, um, We'll talk soon before you go out to Utah. And for those teams that are going to Utah, we'll, um, Maisie will be my proxy. So if you need something, you get in his phone and call me. And uh, come see me. I'll be uh, in the tower. Or I'll probably be, I'll be on the ground. I think they're going to have me. I'm going to race direct the day at the track just so I can get a feel for how they, their crew runs. Mm-hmm. And that I'm not going into the blind for the, uh, in their, so I will do my best to make sure it's a full length. You know, if you guys can keep the cars on track and don't dust up the, because Miller's going to be a dusty place too, I think. As we get into darkness, it's interesting, right? It's a wider track, but just as yeah. dusty, right? It, so yeah, this still, is all those things you have to. You yep. still have to account for that. Like it's hard. It's hard what yeah. you do. I don't want your job. No, nobody does. That's why um, I would just go I, home. That's why I got it so easily. I didn't even have to fly. I just got told you're a race director. So uh, here I am. That's really funny. <laughs> there was no line for the job to wait in, huh? No, there was no line at all. It was, um, they looked at me and they pointed and I went to work. Awesome. Well, thank you for it. Appreciate you're it. You're a good, uh, good standard to have. So we'll talk soon. Yep. We'll do. See you guys in Utah. All right. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Technic Podcast. If you like this episode and want to hear more, please hit the subscribe button and review the library for more conversations like this one. If there's something that you'd like to hear discussed, please message me on your favorite social media platform and I will get back to you just as soon as I can. Be kind and be safe and remember that Technic is spelled T-E-C-H-N-I-K. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Technic Podcast.